Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And as we arrive here in Acts chapter 2, we spoke on the Holy Spirit's arrival last week, how we came upon the 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost, and the spectacular things that took place when he arrived. There were these amazing things that took place, and so as these things are happening, I want to remind everyone here that Peter is actually empowered by the Holy Spirit at the moment. Not only is Peter, but we have the others that are there and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but Peter decides to take a lead, and when he takes this lead, what's so amazing about this is that he begins to preach. He begins to share Jesus, and 3,000 people were added to the church. They came to Jesus by faith. I want to remind everyone here that when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we will share our faith. Remember that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will share our faith and the church will grow. The question for us today, are we filled? And if so, are we sharing our faith? See, the title of today's message is be filled and share your faith. Be filled and share your faith. I believe that the Holy Spirit has led me to speak about his power that he wants to release through you to bring people to Christ. See, he did this through Peter, and he wants to do this through us. And when we look at Peter, this man had denied Jesus 50 days prior to this event. And now you see a different man. You see a man that is no longer cowering or crouching in fear of people. But now he is empowered, he is emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you, there is a correlation between being filled by the Spirit and sharing your faith. There is a direct correlation between being filled by the Spirit and sharing your faith. And if he in fact has filled us, then in turn we will be sharing our faith. You will share Jesus, you will be inviting people to church. Let's talk about the Calvary Chapel movement. Why was this movement so effective? Because the Holy Spirit was moving. And as he was moving, people were convicted. And people were walking away from their sin. And when they were walking away from their sin, they began to share their faith. And the church multiplied. The Lord added to the church. It's a simple formula. They were filled. People were being filled during the Calvary Chapel movement. Many of us are saying, well, we're filled. Are you truly filled? See, the evidence of being filled, in my opinion, I truly believe, is the fact that we will be sharing our faith with others. And that's what we're going to see today. If you ever see people that are filled with the Spirit, they are always sharing Jesus. They are talking about Jesus. They are sharing Jesus whenever they have an opportunity. People that are filled can't keep Jesus to themselves. People that are filled can't keep Jesus quiet. And this is what we see with Peter. Peter shared his faith and 3,000 were added to the church. Let me remind you of another. Another person that was filled with the Spirit. Very similar to what we're talking about now. It was Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah couldn't keep the Lord silent. Remember what it says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I'm going to keep him quiet. I'm not going to speak about God. 
But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. See, this is a person that is filled with the spirit of God. They cannot hold back Jesus. They need to share Jesus. And some of us will say, but you know what? I don't know enough. I can't share Jesus, right? I'm not schooled in the Bible. I'm not a theologian. What if I mislead people? What if I send them to hell? That's nonsense. I want to share this with you. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I shared what I knew, and that was very little. And the Holy Spirit shared what he knew, and that was a whole lot. See, what happens here is that the Holy Spirit leads you. And remember what they said of Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. But they realized one thing, that they had been with Jesus. See, they were filled with the Spirit. They knew this. See, and many times we'll knock our brains and say, but what do I share? I don't know the scriptures. Believe me of one important point here. It's a Holy Spirit that will speak through you. It's a Holy Spirit that will bring the word of God to your lips and you will speak it. Look at what it says in Luke 12, verse 12 to confirm what I'm sharing with you. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you sharing Jesus? Are you inviting people to church? The evidence of all of this is the fact that you are doing this. And this is what we're going to see. So let's go ahead and begin to read. And because it's a long, a long portion of scripture that we're going to cover, we're just going to jump into the scriptures. And it begins in verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let me just give you some clues here. Remember, this is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples that were there waiting. As Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. And as they waited upon the Holy Spirit, he came upon them. And all of a sudden, there was, remember, there was a, the, the, this powerful, mighty wind that came, but it stood in the room. It didn't glide through. It didn't fly through. The wind stood in that room. And there were these flames like fire that were on, the, on top of the, on the disciples. And they then began to speak. They began to speak in these known languages. These languages that were of the foreigners that were there, the Jewish foreigners that were from other nations, they marveled and they said, how can they speak this, these languages? And this is when Peter stands up. He stands up with the 11. And it says that he raises his voice. I want to share with you, why would they stand? Why did they take a position to stand here? They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And they knew that they had a captive audience. Remember, there were thousands of people that were in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And knowing that they were in Jerusalem, as they heard the disciples speaking in their own languages, praising God, it brought them amazement. But it also not only brought them amazement, but it also brought them confusion. That some of them started to think, as it says there, these guys are drunk. You know what? They're drunk. 
They've been taking and drinking too much. And so Peter takes the lead. Peter takes the leadership role. Being led by the Spirit. Being, you know what, just empowered and emboldened by the Spirit. He was stirred up by the Spirit that he begins to speak up. And he says, you know what, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock. And devout Jews, they never drank before noon. They never drank before this. And so then he begins to reveal the Holy Spirit. He begins to reveal the Holy Spirit. He reveals that the Holy Spirit's arrival is now. He's here to dwell with men. As I mentioned last week, the Holy Spirit prior to this only came for a specific duty and a specific time. He wasn't here permanently but as Peter says, he is now here to stay. And let's read about this, verses 17 through 21. He says, and it shall come to pass. In the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, as we look at this, right? As we're looking at this, Peter is actually quoting direct words from Joel 2 verse 28. This is an exact quote, and he's giving it here to the Jews. Though it applies to everyone, Peter spoke directly to the Jews regarding this day. And from verses 17 through 18, he talks about the Holy Spirit that would come in the last days. He says that the Holy Spirit is being poured on the young and the old. He says that the Holy Spirit is going to give visions and he's going to give dreams. He's going to prophesy through men and through women. And then in verses 19 through 20, Peter mentions the day of the Lord. He says he talks about the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord that Peter is referencing? The day of the Lord is the end time prophecies that are to take place. It starts with the rapture and it ends with the millennial kingdom. But specifically, Joe, as well as Peter, is talking about the great tribulation, the events of the great tribulation. They're giving us a sneak preview of these events. But I love what he says in verse 21. He talks about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love what he says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is not only for the Jews. Remember that salvation is not only for a particular group of people. Salvation is not for a select group. But salvation is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. See, it is very clear that Peter is saying that if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's, not, it's just not a select group. It's not just the elect. It's whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's talk about the word call. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. In the Greek, this word means to call on or upon for help. In other words, you are calling upon someone. You are calling on someone for help. So what Peter and Joel are trying to tell us is that you call upon Jesus by faith to save you, to save you from your sins. In other words, you're calling him to forgive you, to save you. 
from the penalty of sins. It also means that you will call upon him as an act of worship. In other words, you are calling upon Jesus as an act of worship, as your God. And it's all a decision of faith. It has nothing to do with anything else but faith. See, what's so amazing about all of this is that salvation comes by faith alone. It doesn't come by anything else. It just comes by calling on the name of Jesus. See, you don't need to do any work. You don't need to do anything else. All you have to do is call upon his name by faith as an act of worship to save you from your sin. And Peter wants to make sure that everyone knows what Lord he's talking about. See, when he mentions there, whoever calls upon, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Lord is he talking about? See, Peter wants to make sure that they knew what Lord he was talking about. So then he begins to talk about Jesus. He begins to talk about Jesus, specifically talks about who he is. And that's what we're going to cover in verse 22 through, the, uh, through 23. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. See, Peter begins, Peter shares the name, the miracles, and the death of Jesus so there would be no confusion. He says immediately, it is Jesus of Nazareth. See, the Lord that I'm referencing here is Jesus of Nazareth. And everyone who, everyone there had heard of Jesus. He was known by the words and the deeds that he did. See, because no one else did miracles like Jesus. No one else did things that Jesus did. No one else taught with authority like he taught. And as Peter says, that God was with him. And Peter wanted us to know or wanted them to know that he was taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. See, me, Peter wants to make sure that they knew that it was Jesus, that they had no, no doubt about it. As we keep reading in verse 24, he says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may, be, may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit in his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. 
I share this portion because I want you to know that Peter now shares the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter immediately says that death could not hold Jesus. Do you want to know why death could not hold Jesus? Because Jesus never sinned. And let me remind you, death is a wages of sin. Romans 6.22, and it is the effect of sin. But if Jesus never sinned, then how can sin hold him down? Death could not hold him. How could death hold him if he never sinned? This is why Jesus was able to rise from the dead, and he had the Holy Spirit of God to do this as, we are sh- as it is shared. But Peter says, okay, you know what? You may hear me saying it, But again, I want to prove this to you through the scriptures. See, and this is what's so key about all of this, right, is that whatever we share, we must always prove through the scriptures. And this is what Peter does. He begins to quote Psalms 18, verses 8 through 11. And he gives us the exact quote from David's psalm. As we read here from verse 25 through 28, he begins to share. He begins to bring the word of God to their minds. He wants to prove what the scripture said, that he would would be raised from the dead. He first says, you know what? David is dead and buried. And we all know this because his tomb is with us. And he goes on to share that David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. In other words, he spoke the truth of God. And the people knew that. They would believe a prophet. They would believe a spokesman for God. And they knew this of David. And so Peter goes on to share that Jesus was raised from the dead. He says he's sitting on the throne according to the scriptures. He says that the Hades could not hold him. Hades, Hades was a part of hell that held believers, believers in God. And he says that he did not decay, right? He says that, that he did not see corruption. But he was raised from the dead. And there were witnesses to prove it. See, in the last 40 days, let me remind you of this. In the last 40 days, people saw the resurrected Christ. And this is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, you know what? We saw the resurrected Christ. According to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6, it says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Imagine that. Imagine seeing the body of Jesus after seeing him crucified on the cross and then seeing Jesus walking around. And they can see the prints on his nail, on his hands. They can see the prints on his feet, the nail prints that were there. And then as we keep moving on in verse 33, it says, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself... But he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Peter now shares the ascension of Jesus. He shared the name of Jesus to prove that he was Lord. He shared the resurrection of Jesus to prove that he was Lord. And now he shares the ascension of Jesus to prove that he is Lord. Peter immediately says that Jesus is at the right hand of God. How does he know this? Again, the scriptures tell us. Remember, Peter saw Jesus ascending to heaven. He saw him ascending to heaven. But not only did he see them, he says, well, many of you didn't see him. But let me prove to you through the scriptures that he, in fact, ascended to heaven. 
And so he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And when he says that here, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. What does this mean? When we look at the word Lord, the first Lord, the Lord, who is he talking about there? He is talking about Jehovah. He is talking about God the Father. And then he goes on to say, said to my Lord, the word Lord there is Adonai, his master. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He is saying that God the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then in verse 36, he goes on to say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So in other words, based on all of this, based on who Jesus was, what he did, his name, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Let me repeat this. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This is what Peter is saying. The one you crucified is Lord and Christ. He is the Lord that Joel spoke about. He is the Lord that will save you. He is the only one that you can be saved by. He is master. He is Messiah. And if you call out to him by faith, you will be saved. Verse 37 goes on to say, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So the Holy Spirit that had filled Peter, and remember the other 11 are there. They're standing next to Peter. And the Holy Spirit that spoke through Peter was convicting all that were there. And as they had the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they asked Peter and the 11, what do we do? I want to share this, and this is so important. It is a Holy Spirit that was working to make this all happen. It had nothing to do with Peter. See, Peter was filled with the Spirit. He spoke through, uh, the Spirit spoke through Peter, and the Spirit was convicting the people, and they responded. See, it has nothing to do with Peter. This is what's so amazing about the Holy Spirit's working within us. Not only does He work in us, but He works through us. Remember that. Remember, He works in us and through us. And so what does Peter say to them as he was inspired and led by the Holy Spirit? Verse 38 goes on to say, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that Peter says is repent. You just don't confess. You need to repent. Repentance is required. What does repentance mean? It means that you acknowledge your sin, that you confess your sin, and that you will turn from your sin. In other words, you will do a complete 180 from your sin. And if you do this, then guess what? You are saved. See, I want you to know that all you need to do is to call on the name of the, of the Lord. And that's what, we, what he's saying here. You turn from your sins. When you call upon him, you will repent. You will acknowledge your sin. You are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you will turn from your sins. But he also mentions something there which is, can be very confusing. Because he says there, 
that be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So is Peter saying that baptism is requirement for salvation? I want to share this with you. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. See, when we look at this, right, what is baptism? Let's talk about baptism. Baptism is an opportunity basically to share your faith. That's what it's about. See, it's symbolic of the new life in Jesus, right? See, when the man goes underwater, that is a man that is dead to sin. The man that comes out of the water is a man that has been risen in Christ now. And baptism is an opportunity to share your faith. When you get baptized, see, this is what Peter is instructing us, and Jesus also commanded us to be baptized, right? So that you can invite people so people can see who you are in Christ. But what's confusing, confusing about all of this is that, it's, is that Peter says, for the remission of sins. Some have taken this scripture to mean that be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But this contradicts what all the other writers and what the gospel is all about. See, Jesus didn't teach to be forgiven for your, uh, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The only thing that he ever talked about is have faith in me. See, we can look at another example of this, right? The thief on the cross. He had the assurance of salvation apart from baptism. So if baptism was required, then he needed to be baptized. But Jesus assured, assured him that he was going to heaven. See, what Peter said here has been taken out of context. Because in all of the other sermons that Peter ever gave, he always preached that salvation came by faith alone. Acts 10, 43. Acts 13, verse 38. In the sermons that he gave in chapter 3, chapter 5, and chapter 10, he never preached salvation by baptism. So what does this mean? What does this mean? When we look at the word for, it has various meanings. The word for is a, a Greek word, yes. E-I-S. And this means on the account of, on the basis of. So in other words, be baptized on the basis of, on the account of the forgiveness of sin. See, it's not required for salvation. He's saying, because you've been forgiven, remember I've commanded all of you to be baptized. These were the words of Christ. And he goes on in closing to say, for you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is available now. And verse 39 goes on to say, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In other words, it is available for all. This promise is for you, for your children, for everyone, the Gentiles, not just the Jew, as many as call upon the name of the Lord. And in closing, we're going to look at these two final verses. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Imagine that. By the Holy Spirit, Peter reminded them to be saved by, the, by this perverse generation. And the Jews responded. And 3,000 were added to the church. Remember, Peter had been just baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And what was the first thing that he began to do? He began to share his faith. And how many people were added to the church? 
3,000 people. Being filled by the Spirit has a correlation with sharing your faith. You can't keep Jesus silent. You can't keep sharing. You cannot stop from sharing Jesus. What does this mean to all of us? To be filled means to share your faith. Why aren't we seeing this power today in the United States? See, we saw this power in the 60s and the 70s, right? But why has this diminished? Think about this. What you see happening today is I believe that the Holy Spirit has been grieved by sin. See, this, the Word of God tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by your sins. See, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He can't move with power. And not only can he not move with power, but he's going to depart and do the work elsewhere. See, he's going to depart and do his work through other people that aren't sinning. And we see revivals going on in Mexico. We see revivals going on in South America. We see revivals in China. We see revivals in South America. But what has happened to the U.S.? The Holy Spirit is grieved by sin. And so because he is grieved by sin, there's no power moving. Does this mean that he has left us for good? Absolutely not. It only means that if we turn from our sin, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to fill us with power, and guess what's going to happen? There's going to be revival in our hearts, and there's going to be, as we go out and share our faith, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon people because he's speaking through us. See, you and I can experience the power of God moving through us. When you, ever, when you saw great revivals happening in this nation, it was because the Holy Spirit was upon these individuals. You can name the great people of faith, the Wesley brothers. You can name Billy Graham. You can name Chuck Smith. You could go on and on with men and women that had the Holy Spirit because they were what? They weren't walking in sin. And what were they doing? They had a deep compassion, just like Jesus, just like Peter, for people to be saved. And so what were they doing? Did they keep Jesus silent to themselves? Let's look at Chuck Smith. What did he do? He had a burning desire for the young, the hippies. So what did he do? He went out there and he shared his faith. Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit. He wasn't practicing sin. The sin didn't, wasn't grieved in him. The Holy Spirit didn't depart from him. The Holy Spirit wasn't grieved, I should say, by his sin. And so what happened is that the Holy Spirit overflowed him, just like Peter, just like great men of faith. See, the, there is a deep correlation with holiness and the Holy Spirit. What I mean by this is that holiness, holiness equates to power. And not only power, we're talking about not man's power, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit's power. If we are holy, if we are a holy people, if we are a passionate people, and we're not just talking about the outward sin because many people talk about, you know what, well, I'm not a drunkard. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not murdering people. I'm not, you know what, I'm not doing lying people on a continuous basis. But as I've shared with you before, the Holy Spirit is grieved with gossip. The Holy Spirit is grieved with jealousy. The Holy Spirit is grieved with, with 
envy. The Holy Spirit is grieved with complaining. The Holy Spirit is grieved when you have anger. The Holy Spirit is grieved when you have unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit is grieved, and that's why there is a lack of power in our lives. And this needs to change. See, the church grows when we are filled with the Spirit. We saw this with the Calvary Chapel movement. And this is why it's so important that we are leading people to Christ. And when we are leading people to Christ, the church will what? It won't die. Are we inviting people? I'm going to ask this question, and you don't need to raise your hands. How many of you have made a list of people? Made a list of people. Praying for these people on a daily basis for their salvation. How many of us are inviting these people to church? It's the same thing that Greg says at the harvest, right? The instructions for everyone are, you know what? Write the names of people. Pray for these people and ask them to attend harvest. It's not just for harvest. It's for the church. We are called to make a list of names of people, pray for these people, and invite them to church. See, you will have a deep compassion for the lost when we are filled with the Spirit of God. There is a correlation, and this is why I titled this message, Be Filled and You Will Share Your Faith. This is what happened with Peter, and this is what happens with others. What I'm going to do now, we're going to have communion now. But before we have communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent of your sins. I'm going to give you an opportunity not just to confess, but to repent and to call upon the name of the Lord. As we call on the name of the Lord,